0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent where we celebrate the preparation of the coming of Christ and the ways in which He helps bring hope and peace, joy, and love. I'm so grateful that you're here. Certainly want to welcome our online community and hope that you will find a great uh, sense of hope and joy as well. And uh, just a word quickly about the Methodist Children's Home, the the, uh, video of which you just saw. Many of you know that several years ago we committed on our Christmas Eve worship services that we would commit 25 percent of all that is taken in to go uh, to local and uh, broad missions, particularly focused on children and moms. And last year we gave to the Methodist Children's home, and you gave over 25,000 dollars last year. Our hope again this year is that we would be able to give at least that much to Methodist Children's home. So I want to encourage you to be in prayer about how your donations will make a huge difference Christmas Eve, day and night, and uh, across all of our Christmas Eve services. If you'd like to know more about Methodist Children's home, go to MCH. Dot .org and you'll learn a lot more there but we've had a long standing relationship with them and they are a phenomenal ministry i know you'll want to support them So as we start uh, uh, this concept of Advent, uh, this big picture Advent, it reminds me, uh, sometimes we don't always see the big picture, right? Sometimes it's hard for us to see the big picture. And often during Christmas time, I reflect on our kids. Many of you know our two children are adopted uh, through what was then called the Methodist Mission Home, now Providence Place, openly adopted. In other words, we knew the birth parents and and, uh, had some sense of relationship with them. Each one of our kids has a different story, of course, to share. Today, I want to briefly, uh, touch on my, uh, our oldest child, our son, uh, born 27 years ago. Uh, his mom, birth mom, Melissa, was uh, 15 when she conceived, 16 when she gave birth to our son. And uh, we often say to Melissa and uh, of to ourselves that Melissa made uh, poor short-term decisions, right? You get pregnant when you're a teenager, that's a poor short-term decision. But she made amazing long-term, big-picture choices. Even as a 15-year-old, she invited us into her life in the fourth month of her gestation so that we got to be a participant in the gestation of our son as well as his birth. And a part of what we discovered in all of that was uh, even as a 15 and eventually 16-year-old girl, Melissa had this big picture that she knew she couldn't be a mom that she wouldn't be prepared and wouldn't be able to take care of, that she could see that there were others who could be better prepared and understand how to get connected with the Methodist mission home and how to set that whole pattern up for success for she, for her future child, for our eventual son. It was a powerful lesson on short-term versus big-term choices, right? To this very day, we have connection with Melissa and we continue dialogue and interaction with her and it's a powerful way to see the big picture, how God has designs and desires for all of us. That's a part of what we've come to understand in this big picture Christmas during this season of Advent. It's a reminder that God always sees the big picture that God always has a design in mind for what ought to happen. And we learned last week as we began this journey in Advent that this strange unknown priest king named Melchizedek some 4,000 years ago helped set forth the concept of hope even long before Jesus was born, right? And we realized that God was in this big picture designing hope for the whole world. And that in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus would eventually be born and be that priest and that king who would bring that hope and offer that to the whole world. It is a precious, precious gift in the big picture of all that God has in store for us. Today I want to talk a little bit about joy and the way that joy can have impact on who we are and the way that joy can really come to us even when we don't necessarily feel it or, or identify it, but that it can be there and we can understand it better through the powerful and provocative ways that God offers joy in the world. You know, joy is this interesting concept of, uh, you know, other ways to describe it. it. might be elation or rejoicing or being delighted, right, about something or even sort of ecstasy, right, that there's this ecstatic encounter that I have or understanding of the ways in which God is at work in the world and how God is at work in my life. And part of what joy does when we experience it is it helps engage our soul and it helps touch the heart, Right. Every time you've ever experienced joy or known joy to be real in your life, you cannot help but feel it, literally, throughout your body, throughout your head, your heart, your soul, your very being. You just know that it's a joyous occasion. You recognize that somehow something has caused you that joy, whatever it may be, and you literally just sense it and feel it in all of who you are. One of my favorite memories of joy that I often reflect on during this season is our son's birth. I mentioned the big picture decisions that Melissa made, but one of those choices that she made, and it was clearly her choice, was to invite us into her life at the fourth month of gestation and to invite Kay and I to be present for the birth of our son, to be in the room Now, I know some of you uh, fathers didn't want to be in the room uh, when the birth happened. I know some of you had the blessed opportunity to be in the room. But let me just say, what a gift that was to Kay and I. Now, Melissa was living in San Antonio, we were living in Argyle, and uh, we waited patiently. She invited us in to see from time to time the sonograms, to be a part of the doctor appointments. So throughout these next almost six months, we got to know our son even before he was born. And then on that fateful morning, the day he was born in April, we got a phone call at around 3 a.m. to say, it's time, I'm going. And so Kay and I hopped in the car to drive down to San Antonio. I just have to ask, how many of us have driven from the Dallas area down to San Antonio? Have you done that before? Yeah, we did it in three and a half hours. (laughs) You just think about that. We got in that car, put it on 90, and just headed. Jim, have you ever made that journey in three and a half hours? Yeah, no. I don't recommend it. But we got there, and we got there safe and sound, and and we got there in plenty of time. As you can well imagine, often with first births, it takes a while. So we waited, even though we got there so quickly, and we waited. And then it came time for delivery, and it was a powerful experience. Because if you've ever been there, you know, you see things you wouldn't normally see, and you experience things that you wouldn't normally experience, and yet it was a holy moment. Because in that moment, what we realized was that God was offering us an opportunity. He was giving us a miracle. He was offering us the gift that is incomparable. A child born to us, not of our biology, not of our making, not of our doing in any way, shape, or form. And we got to watch his head crown. We got to watch his... Body come out, we got to experience the entire affair, and it was profound. So much so that after he was born and they were cleaning him off, Kay and I literally had to step out of the room. Not not because we were asked, not because it was the thing to do, not because we had to, but we were so overwhelmed with delight and joy and ecstasy that we left the room. And the two of us, all by ourselves in the hallway, wept. We wept for joy, we wept for the miracle, we wept for the delight of this gift. It was overwhelming, that was 27 years ago, and the joy is still palpable. That's the joy that Jesus brings. The birth of a child, the relationship unencumbered, the blessing that you could never have asked for, the delight of new life, the opportunity for a future. joy. And that joy is sometimes hard to describe. That joy is hard sometimes to fully understand. And yet that joy, you know when you've experienced it. You understand without a shadow of a doubt that it is a gift. I want to share a bit of what that joy looks like from Scripture. How it is that some 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus, God was establishing an opportunity for that joy to be birthed, to shoot forth from a, a shoot of Jesse, to give us an opportunity to better understand how God desires for us to experience this joy beyond compare, unspeakable by nature and yet so overwhelmingly Filling, right? It comes from a very obscure psalm. You know, last week we had a very obscure passage from Genesis uh, 14, and today we have a very obscure psalm you you may never have heard of, but it's Psalm 98. And it's a very profound psalm that hopefully by the end of this morning, you will have heard it more than you imagine. But today we're going to read it and actually sing it in a very unique way. Some of you may remember that uh, the Psalter, the reading or the singing of Psalms is a repetitive opportunity with singing involved. And so this morning, as we read Psalm 98, I'm gonna read a part, you're gonna read a part, I'm gonna read the light print, you're gonna read the bold yellow print, and Karen and Sherry are gonna help us sing a response to the uh, reading of Psalm 98. So they're going to sing the first response and then invite you to join in. And then we're going to sing each time we see that response, okay? Will you lead us, please? Psalm 98 and the response. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Psalm 98 Oh sing to the Lord a new song for the Lord has done marvelous things God's right hand and holy arm have worked his salvation The Lord has declared his salvation he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations The Lord has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Joy Joy to to the the world, world, the Lord is come. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the ruler, the Lord. Joy to "To the the world, world, the Lord Lord is come. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy before the Lord, who is coming to judge the earth. The Lord will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Joy Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Good job. Way to go. You read Scripture, you sung the Scripture, you celebrated this gift, and you may wonder, why did we sing? Because the Psalms are designed to be sung. That's what they were intended for. That's what the word literally means. And every time you read the Psalms, you ought to remember this is to be sung, so maybe sing it in your heart. Maybe sing it in your head. Maybe remember that these words were intended not just as poetry but as a celebration. And golly, what better way to celebrate sometimes than to sing, right? I don't know about you, but when I sing, I celebrate God's presence. I celebrate all of who God is and what God is doing. And then we sung it because it was actually the basis of a modern or relatively modern Christmas carol with which you're familiar, Joy to the World. Do you know that Isaac Watts, who wrote Joy to the World, used Psalm 98 as the foundation of that hymn? The the very words celebrate the gifts that are lifted up in Psalm 98. Now, you may not know Isaac Watts. Uh, he, He wrote some other familiar hymns. Oh God, our help in ages past, marching to Zion, right? Some powerful hymns, and he wrote Joy to the World, reflecting upon the very words you just read and heard. And they're foundational to what that looks like. I mean, you heard phrases like, um, make a joyful noise, right? You heard a phrase like, the Lord is come. You heard a phrase like, salvation has been brought. You heard words like, the seas roar and the floods clap and the hills sing. And, and of course, God's judgment comes in righteousness, then hear what a modern rendering of Psalm 98 sounds like. It sounds like Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive his king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. I bet most of us have never sung those words thinking about a psalm written almost a thousand years ago. And yet the beauty and the wonder of those words begin to sort of unpack and uh, help to unveil what the gift of this joy that God was writing about through the author of Psalm 98. That there really is something for which we ought to be joyful, that there really is something to celebrate in this season called Advent, that there's something worthy of our rejoicing. And I think there are three simple things that are deeply profound that Psalm 98 brings to the fore to help us better understand why we ought to sing for joy to the Lord. And the first is perhaps the most abundant, the most full, the most purposeful. You heard in those first three verses of Psalm 98 a proclamation that God brought salvation. That's the gift that God is bringing into the world. God brings us salvation in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our brokenness. God brings salvation into the world. God brings a salve for us. God brings a hope for us. God brings an opportunity that there may be another chance for us in our lives. This salvation is coming into the world, and the psalmist wants to proclaim that and identify that this is a glorious journey joyful opportunity, some 900 years before Jesus is even born. A few hundred years after the psalmist writes 98, Isaiah the prophet would write similar words sounding like this in Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your sentinel lifts up their voices. Together they sing for joy for the plain sight they see, the return of the Lord to Zion. God brought salvation into the world, an opportunity for those of us who need it and who doesn't. God is offering it up. God is laying out the plan and the design and the desire, and man, the psalmist just wants to celebrate that and acknowledge the power of that. And then there's something even better, if you will, that that makes this even more good news, and that is this, that this salvation, this new kingdom that God is bringing and this new salvation that God is rendering, it is for all people. Not not just for some, not just for a select group, not just for a chosen people, not just for those who fully grasp hold, but rather this new kingdom that God is rendering into the world, this salvation that God is offering. It's for anybody, anybody who wants it, anybody who can claim it, anybody who desires it. It's for you. You don't have to have special insider knowledge or special relationship uh, or special genealogy or special ethnicity. You just need to claim it. You need to welcome it. You need to receive it. It is for everybody. It is, after all, what the angels said to the shepherds out in the fields, watching their flock by night. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angels said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. This is joyous, right? This is a gift from God. This is an opportunity to say God wants to bestow this salvation on the whole creation. God wants to offer this precious gift to anyone who may desire it. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty cool gift. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to not only receive, but to share with others, right? And the psalmist is proclaiming this some 900 years before Jesus is born. And then the psalmist does what many psalmists do they personify the wonder of creation. And they acknowledge not only is this salvation coming, not only is, is this new kingdom and this new salvation that God is offering for everybody, but then. All the world rejoices. That's what that uh, flood clapping and the seas roaring and the hills shouting means. It means, man, not only are the people glad, not only are the animals glad, but even all of creation is shouting out glory to God in the highest and, uh, you know, thanks be to God and make a joyful noise. I love the way the ancients spoke about how all creation gloried in and celebrated this gift of salvation, it cannot help but bring joy, a desire to love God, to honor who God is, and to give thanks for all of who God is. Isaiah continues in Isaiah 52 by repeating this creation celebration. He goes on to say in verse 9, Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people and has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Man, what a beautiful gift this is, right? What an opportunity to celebrate in this season, this joy that becomes real and possible long even before Jesus, and yet Jesus becomes the culmination of this joy as he enters the world and as he births God's love and he brings forth the opportunity that others may know this gift. I bet you know joy, right? I mean, sometimes it's in a child laughing or playing that brings delight and joy. Sometimes it's seeing and experience the purple mountain's majesty or the seas from shining sea, right? In nature, we can often experience joy. Maybe it's at a a good friend's or a a close loved one's marriage and you see the joy in them as they enter into their new vows and you experience the joy of what that means and the opportunities that lie on the horizon. I don't don't know what brings you joy, but I bet you know joy. And it's often a delight and a wonder and a, a beautiful experience, isn't it? Well, I'm here to suggest that much like the psalmist, And much like God, no joy, no joy can compare to the gift of salvation, of knowing that God offers us a second chance, a new birth, a new life, a new creation. Nothing compares to the joy of knowing that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that what he prepares for us is a kingdom that has no compare and that helps offer the opportunities for peace and hope to be realities in all of the world. Nothing compares to the joy of the gift of knowing that he can make all things new. And that indeed is what his birth brings. His birth brings the possibility that we might know joy even in the midst of our despair, that we might encounter hope even in the midst of our brokenness, that we might see light even when there is clearly darkness in the world, and that we might be love when there is so much hate and bitterness in the world. You see, the hymn... The carol, joy to the world, really is true. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Friends, this Advent, may you celebrate this big picture, that you too may know this joy in the depths of your soul, in the pit of your belly, with all of your being, because he has come. And he is Lord, and he does offer salvation, and he still shall reign. Thanks be to God for the joyous occasion to shout that blessed gift. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus who brings salvation into the world, who helps create this new kingdom and helps call us into its work. Help us, Lord, in all of creation to celebrate this hope and to give thanks for this joy, knowing that you are the only who can make that possible. So, God, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the birth of Christ yet again, we say, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth Receive her King. This is our prayer in the name of that precious King. Amen.